Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from April 25th by Pastor Randy titled, Who's Your One? Part 7. Well, leave for a week and come back and it's springtime. I know that it's springtime because the geese are back. And because Abby had on a short sleeve shirt. So you know things are warmed up. But one of the, the great things about traveling internationally is that you realize how great America is. And the one thing that makes America great is free ref- refills. Because you go to other countries and you order a Coke, you drink that Coke, they don't bring you another one. I mean, there are some things that just should not be limited. Now, some limits are good. Speed limits, yeah, sometimes they're good. Limits on age that you can drive. How many of you here are glad that they don't let Jackson Lee drive right now at his age? Okay, all right. God has limits on sex that our whole culture is blowing past right now. Think they can do so without consequences, which is not the case. But, When it comes to making disciples, when it comes to to having a one, as we've been talking about for the past couple weeks, our problem as a people is not going past the limits that God has set. Our problem is self-imposed limits. Because see, when Jesus gave the Great Commission to take the gospel into all nations, for the first couple years, the church sort of ignored that. The church sort of just remained a local endeavor. Because of these self-imposed limits, limits of racism, limits of traditionalism, fear, things like that. And here's what has to happen. God has often had to prod his church past those limits. Because the only way that we can do what we are meant to do, what we are called to do, what God's left us on this earth to do is if we... Stop with the self-imposed limits and try not to go outside of God's limits. The second thing you need to understand, if there's ever a time when a church needs to wake up, it's now. If there's ever a time when we need to get past any self-imposed limits that we have or other limits and become God's people and, and learn how to disciple others and and. and and grow his church to, to, to share the gospel, to have a one, it's now. The church, what we need to realize, the church has never been a community with a few missionaries in it. The church is always meant to be a missionary community, something that we always do. Because Jesus didn't tell the world to come to the church. He told the church to go to the world, Right? And what he says is that you go to the world and you go to these people who have their own idols, worshiping their own gods, and you tell them that what they need to do is to quit worshiping those idols, those gods, and come worship me, the one true God. That's our mission. David Platt writes in a book about a guy in his church named Matthew. Matthew was a missionary in a Muslim country where they persecuted Christians. There are some Muslim countries that tolerate Christianity. This this Muslim nation actively persecuted Christians, yet the church was growing. 
And David asked him, how's that, how, how's that happening? And here's what Matthew said. He said, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, the first thing we do is sit down with them and ask them to write out all the names of the people they know who are not Christians. That's almost everybody they know. And then he says, next they ask him to circle the names of the 10 people least likely to kill them or have them killed for sharing Christ. And that's how the church grows. Now, in our culture, we're not, we don't have to worry about being killed for sharing Christ, for, for being Christians. But that has not always been that way, not only in other countries, but in the history of the church. Because when the movement of, of Christians began, when it first started in Acts, if you had asked people, who is the one person more, most likely to kill you for sharing Christ, one name would have made it top of everybody's list. If you had asked him who's the least likely person to become a Christian, that same name would have been top of everybody's list. But then that same person who went around killing people for sharing Christ, he wound up sharing Christ himself and affected millions of people, millions of people by not only his life, his teachings, his preachings, but also his writings. Now, a little bit of background about this story starts in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen basically preaches a sermon and he's killed for preaching that sermon. And one person who gave his approval to that death was Saul. But then after that happened, Saul took it to a whole new level. Saul decided that, that Christianity was not just something to be opposed. It was like a virus that had to be just completely destroyed and eliminated. Saul decided if death was good enough for Stephen, it's good enough for all the followers of the way. He decided that if it was good enough to go in Jerusalem and, and put people in jail and seize all their possessions and kill some of them, it was good enough to do the other places where Christianity is spread. So he set about to do that. And here's what we read in Acts chapter 9. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, that he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. See, the Jews were scared to death of Christianity because people's lives were changed. Many of them had saw the risen Lord. <laughs> Many of them believed others who had said they had seen the risen Lord, and their lives were changed by the power of the resurrection. And they couldn't handle that. They had tried to kill Jesus, and that didn't work. So what did they do? They tried to discredit the resurrection, to, to, to say that the disciples stole his body, but that didn't work. So now they're just openly persecuting Christians. So Saul is leading this effort to just get rid of Christians, just to openly go in, kill them, some of them, put them in jail, some of them, take away all the possessions, some, anything they can to exterminate Christianity. And notice in verse we read, they're doing this to men and women, which ought to tell you something. Because women would largely that day just been ignored, but their lives have changed, and they're also helping change the lives of other people. So not only is he doing this to men, he's doing this to women too. And then we read this. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he doesn't just get to Saul, he gets to Saul, Saul. 
It's like when I was a kid, you just didn't get to Randy. You got to Randy Lane. You knew you were in trouble. You knew something was up. And so he gets this voice from heaven and notice what Jesus says to him. Why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why did you kill Stephen? He doesn't say, you know, why are you throwing all those people in jail in Jerusalem? Why are you going to Damascus and these other places to try and get rid of Christians to murder them, throw them in jail and seize all their possessions? He doesn't say that. He says, why are you persecuting me? See, when people come after you because of your testimony, they're not really coming after you. They're coming after Jesus. Because it's not about you. It's about him. Now, it may be about you because sometimes they're not coming after you because you're a Christian. They're just coming after you and persecuting you because you're annoying. Can, can I be honest? Can we, I know we're not usually honest in church. Let's just be a little bit honest today in church, okay? We all know those people who are gun-ho for God and they say, people are, are persecuting me because I'm a Christian. No, they're not persecuting you for Christians. They're persecuting you because you're annoying. You put bumper stickers on everybody's car. Now they've got to scrape them off. Make sure that if, if people are persecuting you, make sure that it's because of the grace and truth of Christ is coming out of your life, not because you're critical, not because you're judgmental, or not because you're annoying. So that verse that we just read where, where Jesus says to Paul, why are you persecuting me? That forces us to confront that within our lives and with other people's lives when they say, I love God, but I just don't love the church. And our response to that should be, because you've heard it from me time and time again, at least twice a year, sometimes three times a year, been here for 20-something years, so probably at least 50 or 60 years, you've heard this from me. So you know what I'm going to say next. Some of you do. I hope you do. What I'm going to say next is what? Okay. We're getting close. We got close. All right. Here we go. You make me see. You give me a reason to repeat this over and over again. All right. The church is the body of Christ. The way you treat the church, even with all its faults, is the way you treat Christ. Do you know how much your life could change and church could change if we just allowed that to penetrate our lives? Here's what comes next. Who are you, Lord? I love this part. I don't know who you are, but you're obviously Lord. I don't know anything about you, but you're obviously sovereign. You're in control. You're obviously Lord. Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting, he replied. But get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saw God up from the ground, and through his eyes, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. And there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. The, uh, let's back up. You got to love Ananias. Because when Jesus speaks to him, his answer is just simply, yes, Lord. He doesn't freak out. Yes, Lord. 
And there's nothing about this passage that would seem weird. It just seems like a normal thing. What would it be like in your relationship with God if when God speaks to you, you just answer, yes, Lord, and it's perfectly normal. Whenever God prompts your spirit, your next words are simply, yes, Lord. And notice what Jesus is not going to say. Jesus is not going to say to Ananias, there's something I want you to do, but good luck figuring out what it is. In fact, you're going to spend the next couple of years trying to figure out exactly what I want you to do. You're going to probably read 10 books on the will of God for your life. I'm just going to stand up here and laugh at you as you try and figure out what it is. It's going to be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. No. Because the will of God is connected to the voice of Jesus. You want to know what God's will is like? You have to be connected to him to be able to, to, to hear his voice. If you don't know how to listen to the voice of Jesus, you'll never know what the will of God is for your life. You'll never wake up in the morning and go, okay, Lord, what is it you want me to do today? Because there's no connection. See, Christianity is not just about having some principles to put in your life to make your life happier. It's not about some laws that we can put into society to make society more moral. It's about that relationship with him, being connected to him. Here's what happens next. He tells Ananias, get up. Go to the street called Straight. Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So here's what I want you to do, Ananias. Go across town. Got it, Lord. Go to a street called Straight. Yes, Lord. Know that street. To the house uh, Judas lives. Yes, I know Judas. Good guy. And inside Judas' house, there's a man from Tarsus named Saul. Got it, Lord. Cross town, Straight Street, Judas' house. Man from Tarsus named Saul. Tarsus named Saul. Saul from Tarsus. Oh, Lord. I bet you no one had Saul as their one. Nobody did. Here's what happens next. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Have you ever felt like you got to tell God something you think he's forgetting? Lord, I can't go there. Do you know how many followers on Twitter I'll lose if I go over there? Because we live in a council culture. And as soon as you do one thing that people don't like, your whole life, everything about you is just canceled. They're just going to have nothing else to do with me the rest of my life. Lord, let me tell you about Saul's past. Jesus says, no, let me tell you about his future. I know he came to lay hands upon you and others like you, but I want you to lay your hands on him. And you know what happens next? Ananias obeys. And there's another big part of our trouble. See, we think obedience is only when we do what we want to do. No, obedience often comes when we do what our flesh and everything in us is telling us not to do. So many times God's choice of servants were reluctant. 
They didn't want to obey, but they chose to obey anyway. And then they learned so much about God when they did. See, often we just obey when we want to obey. Everything in in him is telling him, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But he goes anyway. Here's the thing you want to understand. If you're connected to God, you will wind up doing things you would not do on your own. From time to time, that's going to be reality in your life. That's one way you know you're connected to God, among others. Second thing I want you to understand from this story is we should expect Saul's stories constantly. God always doing the unexpected. See, we talked about the perseverance of the saints. What about the perseverance of God? How he chases after people and chases after people and chases after them. Like he's doing to Saul. See, Ananias just had to decide whether or not he's going to believe in the power of the gospel. Which is the next thing you need to to understand about your life. And we're stuck. Josh, move to the next slide. There we go. Thank you. You'll be put in situations where you have to decide if you really believe that the gospel has the power to change people's lives. You're going to have trouble doing this, having a one, if you're never to the point where you understand the gospel changes people's lives. And here's what we, what Christina verse that she read earlier. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. And the person who wrote that was Saul who became Paul. See, this was not a doctrine to him. This was an experience. This is something he understood. That the world doesn't need more education or legislation or rehabilitation. It needs a transformation that comes from Christ and Christ alone. And some of you have been there. Some of you are people that nobody else ever expected to be in church. Let me ask you, if you're one of those people that at some time in your life nobody ever expected to find you in church, raise your hand if you're one of those. Okay. Got some scattered around. Saul had a vision, but he still needed a visit. See, Jesus tells him to go, but he says, somebody else is going to tell you what you need to do. Again, it's our job. As we saw last time with Philip, instead of God just sending that angel to Philip, he sends Philip to go to the Ethiopian. Rather than sending an angel to the Ethiopian, he sends Philip to go. Because that's how he does this. It's through us. He wants us to be the one to go share the gospel. So the gospel, it didn't come to you. It came to you through someone. Someone came to you. And what we've lost for the past couple of generations is that we need to go to somebody else. It doesn't stop here with us. Then we read next. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me 
so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice how he starts off, Brother Saul. You see, two people were changed that day. Not just Saul, so was Ananias. We live in a culture right now where so many things divide us. Race, politics, on and on. All these things divide us. You know the only thing that can unite us? The gospel. And whenever we spend our times focusing in on these other things, the things that's just going to serve to divide us, rather than, why not focus in on one thing that's meant to unite us? Whenever God gives John that vision in Revelation, he sees around the throne of God people from every tongue, nation, tribe, united. And they're not discussing their politics or their race around the throne. We cannot limit the mission of God by our prejudices, by our ideals. Our future with Jesus transcends all the stuff from our past that wants to divide us. Then here's what we read. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. So let's back up to this point. It moves kind of quick at this point. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's baptized. He's regained his strength. Can you imagine somebody going up to Saul and goes, Saul, how was your weekend? Oh, it was great. I was going to kill these, these people, these, these followers of Christ in Damascus. When I saw Jesus, he was alive. He was alive, and there he appeared to me, and his, his glory was so bright, it just blinded me. And I, he told me to go into the city and where this guy named Ananias. And sure enough, Ananias shows up, prays for me. I can see again. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm baptized. And I start eating and I regain my strength. How was your weekend? Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man, Jerusalem, who is causing havoc for those who called on his name and has come here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? I'd be going, Yeah, you're preaching Jesus. Good trick. You're not going to fool me. But here's what we read next. And he has the authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Your name. Let's back up and read this other part. To causing havoc for those who called on this name. And now we're going to verse 14. We skipped, we went from verse 13 to verse 17. Now let's go 14, 15, 16. <clears throat> he has the authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Over and over again in this passage, we sang glory to his name. 
You want to do an interesting study? Take you maybe an hour and a half, but but it'll help give you a new perspective. Go find you an exhaustive concordance, which some of you have one of those Strong's or something like that, or you can just go to Blue Letter Bible. You can just go on the screen from there. And look up the word name in the book of Psalms. Every time the word name is there in the book of Psalms, and write down what's associated with his name. What comes with that? It'll give you a whole new perspective on verses like these. There's usually one passage that we all know that talks about his name. And that's the third commandment that says what? Do not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. And everybody thinks, oh, he's talking about cursing. No. The only reason people say that is because they don't want to really address what he's really talking about in that third commandment. See, we just use the word name to distinguish between two people. Oh, that's Jack, that's Joe, you know, that's, one's Jack, one's Joe, it's just different people. That's not how the Bible uses the word name. The name, the, a name in the Bible means the very essence, the fullness, the character of a person. So he's saying, don't take the very essence, the fullness, the character of God in vain, in an empty, meaningless, vain way. You see, the problem with taking the Lord's God name in vain, that's not something people outside the church do. That's what people inside the church do. That's what people inside the church who would never think about uttering profanity, they do all the time. When they call themselves a Christian, they take on the name of God, but it makes no difference in their life. It's completely meaningless. That's what happens when you take the, the name of the Lord God in vain. They call themselves Christians, but live powerless, fruitless lives. They never take it seriously. Think of it this way. We're name carriers. That's what we are. We carry names. For example, actors. Tom Selleck? Anybody? No? Denzel Washington? Oh, there's a couple. Okay. Okay. Denzel Washington fan. What about, I don't know, singers today? Uh, Bruno Mars? Justin Bieber? I hope not, but we'll see. Maybe. I don't know. Drake, hope not, but who knows? Could be. It's okay. Taylor Swift. <laughs> but there may be some here who do. Pink. That's not a color. That's a name. How about <laughs> Little Wayne? Now that's not Little Wayne. That's not Little Wayne. It's Little Wayne, right? Okay. All right, let's move on from that. What about restaurants? Texas Roadhouse, anybody? Okay. Lucky Wishbone? Arctic Roadrunner? Okay. Cracker Barrel? Okay, we got Cracker Barrel people. All right. Um, I don't know. 
Winchester, Remington, Smith and Wesson. You know those name people? You're Alaskans. How about Alaska Tough or Carhartts or Gruden's, you know, names? Anybody? LSU Tigers? Yeah. Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah. Women just won their first championship ever yesterday. Yeah. I'm not going to say that name. <laughs> but there are other names, right? We're, we're name carriers. And all these restaurants, all these clothing companies, you know, you could go Nike and, and Puma or whatever you want. All these places, North, whatever. They're hoping you carry their name because the minute you stop carrying their name, they just fade away. We're name carriers. Here's what we read in Philippians 2, 9 and 10. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. It's all about the name. He says to Paul, he's my chosen instrument to carry my name. We are to carry his name, to love it, to cherish it, to share it, to exalt it, to lift it up, to give it to other people. We are to be those name carriers. Because here's the thing about our culture. Everybody has a God. Right? Most people in Anchorage, they have a God. Most people in the world, they understand the concept of having a God. And we go, I love God. They go, I love God too. I serve God. I serve God too. I surrender to my God. I surrender to my God too. Are we talking about the same God? Because my God's a triune God. He's a Trinitarian God. And that second person, the Son, He came down to earth. He healed people. He touched lepers. He healed them. He raised the dead. And He Himself conquered death. He took my sins upon Himself so that I could have a relationship with Him. He is the way, the truth, and life. He is the only way to the Heavenly Father. That's my God. That's my Jesus. That's His name. We're to be name carriers. No one here can say you cannot carry the name of Jesus. But you don't know what I've done. Well, if you haven't been dragging Christians off and taking their possessions and killing them, I mean, what have you done? See, we want to say, God, let me tell you about my past. But he says to Paul, you're my chosen instrument. Saul, who became Paul, in case you're not familiar with the story, switching names a little bit there. But he says to him, you're my chosen instrument to carry my name. To Saul, who had been killing Christians. So here's the thing. Either you're a Saul and you need to come to Christ, or you're an Ananias and you need to help a Saul find Christ. One more thing about this, this incident. We don't read it here in Acts chapter 9, but later on Paul's talking about this. He said Jesus also told him, why are you kicking against the goads? And that's a metaphor for why are you doing something that just frustrates you, that irritates you, that causes you pain. Why would you want to keep doing something that causes you pain. That's what Jesus says to, says to Saul at this point. On this, when, when his glory just shines down and throws him off his horse. Why, Saul? Why would you want to keep doing something that just causes you such pain? 
That, that just Why would you want to do that? Because see, Saul knew that keeping the law wasn't enough. Saul knew all the miracles that Jesus had done. He had heard about all those miracles. Saul heard Stephen forgive the people who were stoning him to death. But rather than looking at that and trying to see in light of Scripture what was going on, he just refused and still decided, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to persecute these Christians. That's some of you. God's right there in front of you. And yet you refuse to even consider to look at the reality of God and how your life should line up with that. To what he has done on the cross for you and how you should respond to that. You still refuse to do anything about it. So some of you are like Saul. And you need to to just say, no, I'm no longer going to fight against this. It's obvious. It's all around me. It's the truth. Instead, I'm going to surrender to it. And some of you, you need to have a one. You need to wake up and say, you know what? I can't just keep going through my life thinking it's all about me. i got to go through my life, and i got to find one person that I'm going to pray for and disciple till they get connected to God. To have a one. God from time to time has had to prod his church to get back to this central truth. And that's what needs to happen to us at this time. The question is, are we going to listen? Are we going to, to allow his truths to penetrate our hearts where it comes to this, when it comes to having a one? Or are we just going to keep on going? And ignore it. It's what God calls us to do. So, the invitation is simple. Are you a Saul? And you've just been refusing to, to recognize the truth that's been in front of you all the time, and you're ready to make that surrender to him? Or are you someone who, who needs to find a Saul? And you need to make that person your one that you pray for, that you agonize over to share the gospel with. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.